0: Welcome to Peace Lutheran Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Brad Schollenberg and thank you for joining us. Okay, a few weeks ago we looked at the account of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, Luke chapter 4. We talked about how the devil likes to tempt us when we are isolated and at the limits of our humanity, hungry and tired. We also talked about the supernatural ability of the devil and that we're no match for him on our own. The good news is Jesus is. He defeated the devil for us and just as the father equipped Jesus, filled him with the spirit, led him by the spirit and gave him the victory, so too in Christ, We can be victorious over the temptations of the evil one. Today we're going to, once again, just look at the temptation of Christ in the wilderness and see how relevant the word of God is for us today. Because the very things that we struggle with, the very things that the devil seems to be attacking us with today are the very same things Christ was tempted with. And we'll see how God supplied Jesus with what he needed to overcome temptation. And we will see that he gives us the same weapons to combat the false teachings that we encounter every day. So not only does God give us his spirit, the spirit of Jesus Christ, who overcame the temptation of the devil, but he has also given us our identity. And that's the first weapon we're going to talk about today, our identity. You can open your Bible to Luke chapter 4. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, see, that's an identity. If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. My identity is not according to myself, my identity is according to God this is who i am this is who you are and your identity is crucial because when you know who you are then you know what to do in the beginning satan had an identity that was to be received from god but then he rejects that he was to be a servant of god an angel but instead he wanted to be served like a god He was to be a worshiper of God, but instead he wanted to be worshipped like God. He was supposed to be dependent on God, but he chose to live independent of God. Satan did not receive the identity that God gave him. Your identity is obtained in one of two ways. Either it is received from the God who created you and redeemed you. I made you. This is who you are, made you in my image, in my likeness. We confess in our catechism, I believe God has made me and all creatures. It makes sense. And so we accept that. And it is a gift to be enjoyed. We have a maker, a creator who gives us an identity or you try and achieve it on your own. Satan does not accept the identity that God has for him, and he rebels. And the battle comes down to the earth, and he attacks Adam and Eve in the garden at the point of their identity. Remember, Satan told Adam and Eve, never mind what God said. Take and eat it. Then you'll be like God. That's an identity. But here's the problem. They were already like God, right? God gave them a received identity. I make you in my likeness. Satan comes along and says, no, you can't have an identity that is received. It needs to be achieved. You need to do something to make yourself like God. And the problem ever since is that every human being ultimately wants to be their own God and choose their own identity. They want to be independent of God. I'm in authority, not under authority. I want to believe and behave how I want to believe and behave. I want to judge myself, and I don't surrender to the judgment of anyone, including the God of the Bible. Boy, this attitude sounds so familiar. I want to be me. I want to choose who I am. There is a spirit, there is a belief out there in our world that says you make your own identity or you have to find your own identity or your own way. And the emphasis is always on you and not your creator. How many people in our world are struggling with their identity Because they bought the lie that they've got to somehow manufacture or make it themselves. They have to go out and achieve it by something that they do. Rather than live in the identity that they are already made in the likeness of God. Satan then brings that battle from Adam to Jesus. And the identity issue is the issue if you are the Son of God. Now, what just happened prior to this was the baptism of Jesus. What did God the Father say publicly about Jesus? This is my Son. That's an identity. Please remember this. You live from your identity, not for your identity. So God says, this is who you are, and then from that, You live, rather than trying to achieve that. Jesus hadn't preached a sermon yet. He hadn't performed miracles yet. He's going to work from his identity, who he is, not to achieve his identity. Satan comes along and says, if you are the son of God, and let me just say this, if God the Father tells you who you are, and he has then you just believe that. Let me tell you something, the battle for your identity is very real, and Satan is still talking to people and confusing people. So I just wanna take a moment to tell you who you are according to God's word. The Bible says that you are loved, and Satan will come along and tell you you're not loved. The Bible says you are forgiven, and Satan will say, no, you're not. The Bible says, You can change. And Satan will say, you can't change. God will say, I prepared a place for you. And Satan will say, you're never going to end up there. And God would say, there's hope for you because of Christ. And Satan would say, there's no hope for you. The devil's been talking to a lot of people. How do you know? Well, let me give you a clue. If you hear that word you all the time, you... Fill in the blank. You are a failure. You are useless. You are not a Christian. You are a disgrace. You are shameful. You are an embarrassment. You are hopeless. You should just kill yourself and do us all a favor. People are hearing these things. Revelations 12 verse 10 says, Satan is the accuser of the brethren day and night. And some people hear these things all the time. Jesus said, My sheep... Hear my voice. If you're not sure who's talking to you, check it against the Bible and what it says. Now, Jesus is hungry. Satan says, make some bread. What do friends do with each other? They break bread together. That's how you know who your friends are. Come on over for supper. We'll eat together. Is it a sin for Jesus to make bread? No. Jesus comes from Bethlehem, which literally means the house of bread. Jesus tells us, I am the bread of life. In the Old Testament, every day God made bread for his wandering children in the wilderness and gave it to them. God is pro-bread, and there's nothing like a piece of bread when you're hungry. You know, sometimes we think of sin as rebellion, and it is, but sometimes we need to think of sin as relationship. It's not a sin for Jesus to make bread. It is a sin, for Jesus to eat bread with the devil, to have a relationship, a friendship with the devil. What Satan wants is a relationship with you. And the answer must be no, no, no. My relationship is with God. I eat with him. Another weapon God gives us to overcome temptation is godly perspective. The devil took Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. You know what? We're all just driven by covetousness. Man, I wish I could have that car. I wish I could live in that house. I wish I could go to that place. I wish I could have that body. I wish I could have that job. I wish I could have that talent. I wish I could have that spouse. I wish I could have that sex life. I wish I could have that resume. I wish I could have that grade point average. In an instant, Satan shows Jesus every temptation of every person in all human history. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. It's an ambush. And I want you to think of kingdoms in a broader sense, not just nations, but there's There's the entertainment kingdom. There's the industrial kingdom. There's the social media kingdom. There's the popularity domain, the power domain, the comfort domain. Satan will grant you the desires of your flesh. I will give it all to you, he says. If then. If then. There's always a catch with Satan. If then. You will worship me. It will all be yours. So Jesus is given two options. Everything but a relationship with God and nothing and a relationship with God. How many of you would trade your relationship with God for something or someone? People do it all the time. Satan And God the Father are offering Jesus the same seat. Satan says, I'm a king with a kingdom. You can sit at my side, and I'll give you all the pleasures of the kingdom of the world. One thing, just make me the center of your life. Glorify me, worship me, have me be your highest authority. God the Father is also a king, rules over a kingdom. Jesus, you can sit at my side. Question, which path is easier? this is the path of pleasure and this is a path of pain jesus to sit at the right hand of the father you're going to have to be betrayed by a friend publicly shamed arrested flogged beaten murdered crucified experience the full wrath of god travel the path of pain and then be seated at the side of the king Or travel the path of pleasure, where money is not a problem, food is not a problem, drugs is not a problem, alcohol is not a problem, sex is not a problem, luxury is not a problem, comfort is not a problem. Often it comes down to choosing the path of pain to the path of pleasure to walk in the will of God. To walk in the will of God is going to be painful. This is your struggle And the temptation, Christian, to walk away from the will of God is going to be pleasurable. Let me tell you, that is an absolute lie. It won't be pleasurable because the sinning Christian is a miserable Christian. Godly perspective will help us see what is true from what is a lie. Another big weapon scripture. In Luke 4, Jesus answered the devil, it is written. We are to be God's messengers, not God's editors. There is a constant war against the word of God today. And I find that everyone who wants to discredit the authority of God's word, or those who actually speak out against the Bible, usually it is because there is a rebellion in their lifestyle. Most people's problems with the Bible are not theological, they are moral. And when the Word of God says that something is wrong and needs to change, today, we say, actually the Bible's wrong and it needs to change. The question is, will you change the Word of God or will you allow the Word of God to change you? It's always an issue, ultimately, of authority. Are you in charge? Or is God in charge. And when we fight this spiritual battle, we have to fight with the truth of God's word. What Jesus does, he quotes the word of God. It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Satan then takes Jesus to Jerusalem. Not only will you get all the pleasures and powers of the world, you'll also get to rule over a religious kingdom. He sets him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, and he misquotes the Psalms, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you on their wings. They will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. What do we learn from this? Well, first of all, you can know the Bible and not know the Lord. Satan knows the Bible, but not the Lord. You can know the Bible and not love people. And the whole point of the Bible is to know the will of God and to love people. The point of studying the Bible, therefore, is to strengthen your relationship with God so that your relationship with others is strengthened and more loving. The second thing we learn from this is the Bible's a weapon. Ephesians and Hebrews, both of those books call the Bible a sword. And the key is to know how to use your weapon. Secure your weapon. Clean your weapon. Get familiar with your weapon. That's why soldiers have to take apart their guns and clean them and put them back together. They have to learn how to use their weapon. And don't ever let your enemy take your weapon. This Bible is a weapon that will either slay your enemy or your enemy will use it to slay you. And here's the point. You're learning the Word of God today for your battle tomorrow. Now some of you are thinking, I don't know why I need to learn all of this. I don't need it. You will. You learn today for what you will use tomorrow and here's what I need you to know: Jesus combats demonic temptation with biblical truth. This is the pattern. Truth dispels lies, light dispels darkness. Satan comes, misquotes the word of God. Jesus rightly quotes the word of God. What the Bible is encouraging and what Jesus is modeling. Is that when we hear something, some new truth or belief, the first thing we say is how does this line up with the truth, the word of God? Now here's a fascinating verse. It's from Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. See to it. Pay attention. Stay focused. This is not peacetime. This is wartime. This is the language. See to it that no one takes you captive. Any thought that you don't take captive to Christ will take you captive. The battle starts in the mind. That's why the Bible says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Colossians 2 verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. Hear this. In every generation... There are philosophies, there is opinions, there is popular ideologies that say something that is contrary to the Word of God. And we just say, well, it's fashionable, it's trendy, it's innovative, it's creative. What Paul is saying is that behind those statements, those beliefs, there are spirits. And know this, Satan understands how things work. And he can take a good thing and he can make it a bad thing. He's done it with entertainment. He's used the university system. He used the political system. He's influenced governments. Don't be taken captive. Use your best weapon, the word of God. Now, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse I think it's 4 or 5, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to Christ. Again, the language is war. So here's the picture. You come across in your battle, in your daily battles, you come across and capture an enemy thought and you would want to interrogate them And you would literally put a sword under their throat and you would walk them to the highest commanding officer to interrogate them to get the truth out of them. What the Bible is encouraging and what Jesus is modeling is that when we hear something, some new truth or belief, the first thing we say is how does this line up with the truth, the word of God? Let me get the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, under the throat of this concept, this idea, and take it to Jesus, my highest general, and say, Jesus, is this true or false, right or wrong? Any thought that you don't take captive will take you captive. You need the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Without the truth of God's Word, it is easy become captive to demonic deception. The final weapon we have been given, faith. Faith to trust in the midst of the test. Jesus answered him, it is said you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. We are to trust God, not test God. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. How many of you have obeyed the word of God? It says stand firm and you stood firm. I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm, I might have done that in the past, but I'm not going to do it now. I'm not going to betray my Lord. I will not yield, submit, or surrender. And eventually the enemy leaves and you're like, finally I got a reprieve. And then later he shows up again because he's always looking for an opportunity to destroy. Jesus is tempted, tested, troubled, and tried. And you will be there too. And some of you are there right now. This is going to sound complicated. But we win by surrendering. The answer to temptation is humility, not pride. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. When you are tempted, remember what Jesus did. He surrendered. He surrendered to God, not Satan. You need to know that everybody surrenders. You either surrender to God or you surrender to Satan. In surrendering to God, Jesus is really allowing the battle to be between Satan and God. He understands that his battle is certainly a part of it in the middle. But let me say it to you this way. If Satan is tempting you and you surrender to God and you don't surrender to Satan, then you leave God to do the fighting for you. Sometimes we get proud and so we say, I want to fight. No, you need to surrender to God, not the enemy. God, I want to obey you. And God, this enemy is actually your enemy. And this war is actually your war. So I'm surrendering to you, and I'm asking you to deal with my enemy. I mean, think about this. This approach is used in, in how many addiction recovering programs, like the 12-step program. I can't overcome this addiction. I need a higher power. I need someone who is stronger than me, And what does the devil do? When God shows up, the devil leaves. Some people believe that the temptation and pressure will not leave until you sin. Well, that's a lie. That's surrendering to Satan. No. Surrender to God is standing firm. Matter of fact, this is how James, Jesus' little brother, said it. Submit or surrender yourself to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. See, in the same sentence, submitting yourselves to God and resisting the devil, and he will flee from you. Light dispels darkness, God dispels demonic, and the devil leaves. Now, who gets the last word? Jesus does by quoting the word of God. The key is to let the word of God have the last word. I don't know. Have you ever noticed a bad pattern in your relationships, married or among friends? How many of you, when you are arguing, it's war over who gets the last word? Even after you finish the conversation, you're getting a text, the last word. The key in your relationships is to let the word of God always have the last word. And what does it say? To forgive one another. Oh, I don't need to say anything else. So God gets the last word. Or how about this one? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Oh, God will take care of them. God gets the last word. Now, notice we begin and end our war with the spirit. Jesus, full of the Spirit, was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And then in verse 14, you can scroll down, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. God's got us bookends on each side. Now, a few points I wanna make about temptation in conclusion, very important. Temptation is not a sin. Did Jesus ever sin? No. Was Jesus ever tempted? Yes. Temptation and sin are not the same thing. Sometimes people think they are. And number two, and this is the biggie. Satan's temptation to get you to sin is God's test to graduate you. In the original Greek, the word for temptation and test is the same word. Two sides of the same coin. Hardship comes, troubles come, temptations come. Satan wants it to be a temptation. Give in, surrender, sin, rebel, harm your relationship with God, forget who you are as a child of God. God says, No, this is a test that you can take and you can pass. And once you pass, you graduate. Think about it. Jesus had his test. He passes it. He then moves on to a new level of ministry. I mean, what happens right after Jesus passes this test in the wilderness? He begins his public ministry. For us, as when we overcome temptation through the power of Christ, we graduate, we mature, and we take on more ministry and responsibility. When temptation comes, the Bible says, consider it pure joy. Why? Well, because it's an opportunity to mature and graduate. And who doesn't like graduating? James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know That the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Wow. So to recap, you've been given the Holy Spirit. You've been given your identity in your creation and in your baptism as a child of God. You've been given godly perspective. You've been given the word of God, the sword of the Spirit himself. You've been given faith to trust God to pass your tests. What more can God do for us? Here's the answer. I'll tell you a couple of things. Number one, Jesus took your test, right? He became one of us and he lived a perfect life. Number two, Jesus passed your test. He lived the life that we could never live. It was perfect. Number three, Jesus gives you his report card. Remember, he took your report card, your sin and failure, and he exchanged it with his righteousness and salvation. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Number four, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit so that you can live by his power and you can pass your test. And number five, Jesus lets you retake your test. Right? We call that forgiveness. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins. Yeah, he lets you retake the test. And he keeps letting you retake the test. And he sends the Holy Spirit to help you pass your test. Wow, what God has done for us. Now no one told you life was gonna be this way. You're looking for some help to get you through the day. You'll find the answers in this book right here. The Lord will speak to you and help you to conquer your feet dog it'll be